The biggest area of empowerment for a child is allowing them to make decisions. Even small ones can be a powerful way to empower them and build their confidence. Just to clarify, we're not talking about big decisions, but even controlling what friends they hang out with, what time their homework is done, etc. My youngest child didn't have a bedtime. We told her that so long as she got everything done, she was supposed to, wasn't falling asleep at school and maintaining good grades, we would leave her bedtime selection to her. We never had to tell her to do her homework or chores. Everything was done before bed. It's even smart when your child approaches you with a problem that you listen without offering advice right away. This causes your child to figure things out, even how they can approach things differently. This develops problem-solving and critical uh, thinking skills. Uh, research published in Psychology Today by Laura DeSauer indicates that by not letting your children make decisions, it turns them into a codependent adult. These children tend to seek out relationships where someone else has the power and control. Gary, huh? It is. You know, I've been watching this show. Well, obviously, we've been watching this show. Yeah. <laughs> can't remember what it's called. My, my Lover, My Killer. My so, Lover, My Killer. Yeah. yeah. And it's crazy to me to see how, how this plays out in some of those instances. Not in all of them, but because over time, you could be psychologically groomed. But it's crazy to see that somebody would want to be with somebody who directs them in every way. Like, some people want that. And that's where it comes from. And so knowing that, you don't want to set your child up for that. Don't. You- I, I think we do it unintentionally. We, we, we teach our kids, obey your, obey your elders. We say, so then obey they your don't want to tell you when yeah. an elder touched them yeah. because that's their elder. They yeah. were telling me what to do and I was doing what I was supposed to do. Yeah. It's really the wrong message to say that. Maybe that made sense like in, like in the village. <laughs> back in Egypt or something. But nowadays the world is a different place and, and it's important to tell your kids that you can't trust everyone who's an adult. Everyone who's an adult is not going to be good for you. It's not going to be your friend. It's not, it's not going to want what's best for you. Uh, so I, I think that's really important. But in terms of, in terms of decisions and, make, and allowing your kids to make decisions, it's important to know that your kids, when they ask for something, when they say, hey, can I go outside and play? You can say, okay, you can either go outside and play or you can go cut the grass and I'll pay you $5, <laughs> right? That's a choice that a kid has. And now right. the kid is thinking, okay, do I, do I go out and play or, man, I really want that $5 because then I can do these other things that I, you know, and now they have a choice, you know what I'm saying? And if you want to dissuade them from something, like if they want to do something that you don't want them to do, you can always give them a better choice. Hey, I really want to go spend the night at my friend's house. I don't really feel comfortable with my daughter spending the night at her friend's house. Hey, you could go spend the night at your friend's house or your friends can spend the night here and we can go to the video game and we can go get some pizza. Like, you know what I'm saying? You make it a little bit better of an of a option. So they're still choosing. I really want to go there. Okay. If that's okay with you, then you can allow it. If it's not okay, then you just shut it down. You know what I'm saying? You don't have to give them a choice at all. It's really good to be able to give a kid a choice and when you do shut them down, it's important to give them other options. You don't just say no. You can just say no. That's how I was raised. I would say, hey, can I go to the movies? No, you can't. Why, why not? Because I said so. You know, that, that was what I got, right? But it's, it's way better to say, no, you can't go to the movies because these reasons that you can't go to the movies. Now you understand, well, my parents is not being mean. They, they're, they're worried about my safety. But you can invite a friend over to watch a movie. Or we can all go to have ice cream. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like you could give them an alternative to what they want to do as opposed to just saying no. It's really good. Even when it comes to things like money, you know, like yeah. um, let's say schools, 
school clothes shopping, you know, telling your child, hey, you got $500. That's for everything for the school year. Yeah. So choose wisely. Yeah. You know, and that's such a life skill. It is. It's it such is a life, life skill to teach your kid how to budget by, by give, you know, I didn't have that option when I was a kid. My mom took me to the store and she got me three pair of pants. She got me three shirts. <laughs> she got me one pair of shoes, one pack of underwears, one pack of t-shirts. And that was it. And, and, and I didn't have a choice of any of it. And now the world has changed a little bit. And so now, you know, you give your kid a, a $300 budget and, or a $500, whatever it is, whatever the budget is for that child. And you go, okay, you figure it out. And the kid knows, well, I need a pair of pants for every day of the week. I know I need to have a shirt for every day of the week. So I can, this is how much I can spend on each one. And I also got to get two pair of shoes. Like, you know what I'm saying? Now that kid is figuring out, they're not going, Hey, I need the $500 pair of shoes. Okay. Okay. That's all you're going to have last year's clothes and a new pair of shoes. <laughs> Hope them shoes but last year all year. But it's your choice. Right. It's your choice. And if the, those $500 pair of shoes are really important to you, you're going to have the consequences of that decision. Do, do you feel like that was an area where in your parenting, style where you allowed for your children to make decisions did you give them that option i don't know that i always gave them an option but whenever i found an opportunity for them to learn something i would give them an option i i I prefer to give them the option than to make a decision for them here's a perfect example my daughter was deciding to go to college and i preferred for her to go locally but she really wanted to go to puerto rico and she wanted to live with my parents there and, and go to go to school in puerto rico because she wanted to learn spanish she wanted to be in a different culture she's all about traveling and i really thought that the culture perspective of it would be good for her to go someplace where they spoke Spanish all the time and she would learn that. But I also knew that living with my parents was, was a toxic environment because I grew up in that environment. And so I knew that she was going to struggle there with that. And she still talks about this. Yeah, she does. She does. But, you know, and that was a financially straining decision for you. But it was something that she had to experience to understand and you know what? I could, I may have been wrong. She might have been there. She might have been like, "Wow, this is amazing. This was great." Unfortunately, that's not how it played out. It played out the same way that I thought it would. But I felt like not giving her that choice and not allowing her to experience that would have never showed her the value of the benefits of going to school here with her family, where her family was with her family. And so, you know, she she went for a semester. And she hated it even before the semester got done. But she finished the semester to show you grit. You know what I'm saying? Right. To, 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 to speak to, to grit. She wanted yeah. to stick it out. But I didn't tell her, well, hey, you made the bed. Now you have to lay in it. So you're going to be there for four years until you finish that degree. You know what I'm saying? I'm not going to put my kid through, through torture for four years so that she learns not, uh, not to quit. You know what I'm saying? Like, no. She realized she made a bad decision. She overestimated the, the experience. And she was ready to come back home. And so you know, we brought her back home and she finished college in the U.S. And, and you know, by, by providing them the ability to make a decision, there's a much better learning lesson than you're just telling them, no, you can't do it. This is why I'm yeah. not going to let you do it. My youngest daughter wanted to do um, cheerleading one year and, and I had given her the option of, you know, what sport or whatever it is that she wanted to do. I'd actually tried to tell her, and it's funny because she does jujitsu now. I had tried to get her to do wrestling because wrestling is an, a, a pretty easy scholarship to get, especially for a female. So she's like, you know, no, I want to I wanna do cheerleading. Okay. I didn't think she was going to like it. <laughs> we got her all the stuff she needed for cheerleading. It cost us like 2000 bucks. I had to go to all these booster club meetings. And let me tell you, you know how long her little cheerleading thing lasted? It lasted one 
one term at school, not even a year, one term at school, she had had enough. She's like, no, I don't like being a cheerleader. <laughs> I don't want to be a cheerleader. And the funny thing is recently I was laughing about it. And she said, you know, what's funny is I watched something and they made it look so cool. And I thought that's how it was going to be. And it wasn't like that. <laughs> yeah. But I, I feel like if you would have taken that, that option away and said, no, you're not going to be a cheerleader. The rest of her life, she would have been like, man, if I would have just been a cheerleader, yeah. my whole life would have been different. I would have had so many friends and I would have this great experience. And like, uh, you would have hated it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think that another time when, when I let a kid make a decision, I'm trying to think, I'm trying to think this through. Didn't you make a, a deal with, with Alicia one time about money that had to do with um, you'd give her so much and she could get whatever it was with it or she could get less and you would yeah. allow for her to invest? I was trying to teach my daughter to invest. And so instead of saying, hey, you should invest your money, which is like what typically you would say, hey, you, you, you got this money. Why don't you invest it? You got this Christmas money. Why don't you invest it? Right. Um, I was giving her money for clothes for school. and so. What I was going to do was, I think, I can't remember the amounts. I think I was going to give her 300, I was going to give her, I was going to give her $500 for school clothes. Yeah, it was 500. I was going to give her $500 for school clothes. And so what I did was I was testing her. I said, I'm going to, I'm going to give her 300 and I'm going to tell her that if she invests, if she chooses to invest a portion of that money, then I'm going to give her 500. So it was, it was to test her. I was trying to reward the behavior of making a decision to invest over not. So I said, so I, so she didn't know this. So I said, Hey, I'm going to give you $300 for, um, for school clothes, but I think you should invest $50 of that in stocks, you know? And so I said, I said, you don't have to make the decision now. You could think about it. Yeah. You only have $250 for school clothes, but that $50 could turn into a hundred dollars or $150. Like you never know what it could grow to. And so she thought about it a whole day. The next day she came back and she was, she says, Hey, I decided I'm going to go ahead and invest the $50 and I'm just going to use a 250 on school clothes. And I said, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to take the $50 and I'm going to invest it and I'm going to give you 500 instead. So that, that behavior reinforced the positives of investing. You know what I'm saying? Cause you don't know what you're going to get for that investment. Like, in- Plus it was, it was her decision and not yours. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. And you know, the funny thing is that, um, she's been investing ever since. Yeah. And as a matter of fact, it's how she helped buy her car. Yeah. And she, <laughs> it was funny because I didn't know a lot of the stuff on the platform that she was using. It was Robin hood. And I know you, you have a lot of experience with it. And so she got into looking at different stocks. She researched them and she'd be sending messages in the middle of the night saying, hey, this stock is going up, you know, go, go, go look, you know, see how much money you made or, hey, this, this stock is really low. Go in there and and buy, you know, buy some stuff. So it was really cool to see that at her age that she was doing that because there's adults that know nothing about investing and don't know the importance of investing. And that was a, that was a good learning lesson for her for sure. Yeah, I, I think it's a life lesson that she'll always have and that she'll always take. And I, I wish I could have had that. I wish I could have shared that lesson with my young, with my other kids. You know right. what I'm saying? When, um, we didn't have a platform like that to be able to do that. And I feel like that was like a, a missed opportunity, like to teach them how to invest. And like, I just didn't know. I didn't know what I didn't know. A lot of times I feel like if I would have had kids now, the lessons that I could teach are so much more valuable right. than the lessons that I knew when we were all growing up together. And like we, we yeah. all knew the same stuff. <laughs> yeah. I joke that my kids are going to be down the hall at the nursing home because we're so close in age. (laughs) It's not a joke. (laughs) It's going to be a fact. 
Key component number seven of raising a successful child is to let your child fail, but think of effort over failure. So as you heard earlier in my personal story, I know it's tough to watch your child learn a tough lesson. It is, but it's a lesson. Failure is part of the journey and even on the battlefield, you know, do you know how many U.S. soldiers died, you know, unnecessarily on the battlefield before we realized that not just medics, but all soldiers needed to know the importance of controlling bleeding, even before providing treatment for the airway? Thousands. 90% of almost 5,000 casualties died of our hemorrhage-associated injuries. This was a massive failure and one that impacted a lot of people. So 100% of soldiers learn how to control bleeding. You know, you say that too, and, and I think about how they've changed the active shooter training um, with the police to show they've added, that. Yeah, yeah, hemorrhage control because yeah. so many people are unnecessarily dying. Yeah, so the police are, are clearing buildings and they're walking past shot victims and they're not providing any type of hemorrhage control. But those people are dying unnecessarily, so they're bleeding out um, while the police hunt down the shooter. They're not providing any type of first aid. So we're even learning that lesson even in an urban environment. Yeah. You know, they've come, they've, I actually was reading today. They've come out with some new stuff that they're going to test out on the battlefield this year. <laughs> no, to that, 2025. I think they're, they released it to the hospitals in the military sector to test out for areas that you can't like put a tourniquet on or really control real well with pressure like the armpit. So that's really cool. It's, it's interesting to see. And, you know, through these failures, had we not have had these failures, we wouldn't have had these advances. And one day those those failures are going to result in a lot of success stories for people making it out of situations that before you just wouldn't expect for them to make it out of. And that's pretty amazing. So research published in Psychology Today, not allowing a child to fail is so damaging that it continues into adulthood. Remember that you're preparing your child for the battlefield, not preparing the battlefield or life for them. In a poll conducted by the New York Times, 75% of parents still perform such things as scheduling appointments for their children between the ages of 18 and 28. That's crazy. Wow, it's crazy. I'm too busy. Um, you know, we have to be um, very conscious about how we respond to our children. And one of those ways is how we respond to failure because yeah. it's equally important because it can have a significant impact on their emotional well-being and future success. Just like the story I told earlier with my dad, you know, knowing what to say, like saying the same thing, but knowing how to say it in a way that isn't damaging. You know, have you ever responded, you know, after a high score or a win with, you know, you're so talented or you're naturally gifted? I have. And believe it or not, it's wrong. So Stafford University conducted research spanning decades. And what they found was that where children think success comes from um, predicts their attainment. So some children believe that success is determined by genetics, natural talent, or natural intelligence. And that's not true. These children tend to think either you have it or you don't, and that's it. And it's a fixed mindset. And even for the children who the parents are saying, you know, oh, you're so, you're so natural at the sport that you're doing, they didn't try as hard because. They're a natural. They didn't think that they needed to, to stack anything on anymore, you know, be any more aggressive to um, improve themselves in that sport or in that subject in school. I think, I think I'm a little bit guilty of that because I always felt like my son was just naturally talented at sports. And so I would always say, oh, he's just, he's just natural. He, and, and you know what? It's funny because you don't even have to say it to your son. You could just say it to other people and your kids hear it. 
Like, oh, my son's just, he's That's awesome. True. Like, you know what I'm saying? Absolutely he's, he's a, he's a, he's a phenom on the football field. But now he's thinking, oh, I'm a phenom. I don't need to, I don't need to go to practice. I'm a phenom. And you, you know, know what's funny? I did it a lot with my oldest son. And yeah. I know one time in wrestling. So my, my son was, first of all, my son's done just about every sport. And at every sport, I kid you not, he's excelled at every sport. So he, he naturally has a physical ability to do very well in sports. And so when he did wrestling, my dad was super excited because my dad was a college wrestler and my dad likes wrestling. So my son kind of like, he wanted to make his grandpa proud. And, you know, so he kind of continued in wrestling for a while. But when he was wrestling, I would say things like, man, you're so, you're so talented. You're, you know, you're such a natural, you know, you're, you're undefeated. Imagine, imagine how high you can go with this. And again, just like I've told my, you know, my youngest daughter, I told him wrestling is an easier scholarship to get. And he wanted to play football, but it's a harder scholarship to get. I'm like, why don't you go for the wrestling scholarship? Which he didn't do. That's another story. But there was a, a kid who was on his wrestling team who wasn't near as good as a lot of the other kids. He wasn't undefeated because a lot of people on, on his wrestling team were undefeated. He wasn't undefeated and he was actually a little small. So they kind of thought of him as like being the small one in the group. But this kid, I caught him walking home and I asked him, you know, hey, can I give you a ride or your parents not coming to pick you up? He lived so far away from the school, but you know what? He was walking to and from practice. So knowing that, I told my son, I said, you know what? Hard work beats talent every time. So that kid, man, he's going he's gonna to be a phenomenal wrestler because he's putting in that extra work. He's having to do extra just to get there to practice. So practice is going to mean that much more to him. You know, he's, if you've walked five miles, you're going to make sure you get out of your practice with what you want to get out of your practice. You know, you're not going to go there and, and mess around. You're going to go there and you're going to be serious. Yeah. So reinforce a growth mindset where failure, although disappointing, it's an opportunity for growth instead of a fixed mindset where failure is avoided at all costs. And, you know, you can achieve this by reminding your children when they do succeed in something as little as scoring high on a test or even in a sport, you know, letting them know that it's a testament of their hard work and effort as opposed to just natural intelligence or talent. So you can you can. Whether they're naturally intelligent or maybe they're behind a little bit, maybe they're not as good as some of the other people. Either way, whether they're in one situation or the other, you're going to propel them to be even better. So when they fail, you can remind them that they can turn that around with hard work and effort. I think where, where we learn that mindset is in school and with getting grades. You study and you get an F. Like, oh, you <laughs> failed. So, so they teach you that failure is to be avoided and not to be pursued. The first place that I ever worked at where I learned that failure was acceptable was at Amazon. One of their values is fail fast. And I was, when I first heard that, I was like, oh, what does that mean? Fail fast? Like, why would you want to fail quickly? Like, you know, but the value is all about being open to taking risks because the lessons are in the failure. You, you, yeah, you, you, there, are, there are some lessons in success. There are some lessons. But the best lessons always come through failure. And if you look at people who have succeeded in life, they've gotten there through a failure, a failure, a failure, a failure, a failure. They're learning. Every time they're getting a little bit better, incrementally better, until they get to the point where they're so good 
that they're undeniably a champion. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. You, you, you've become great because you've failed so many times and you've learned so many lessons that now you've, you've you're become fixing, a master. You're fixing yeah. and fixing. And you know what? Absolutely. The, what the funny thing is, is you'll see in sports, and I'll use Ronda Rousey as, a, as an example. Yeah. You know, you, you get to a point to where you think you're unstoppable. Like, I've, I've achieved the top and nobody's going to get here. You can't think that you you cannot take a knee when you're in a competitive sport, because when you take that knee, somebody's going to pass you up because somebody somewhere is going to be working harder than you if that's what you're doing. And at yeah. some point, they're going to pass you. Conor McGregor said that one of the worst things you can do is become a champion, because once you become a champion, it's it's real easy to think you've made it. I've gotten here. Right. I've gotten to the top of the mountain and not understanding that. You now have to stay there. Like it's not it's not simple to just stay there because now the other greats are coming for that championship too. Like And you know, you know what? A lot a lot of people who go to the Olympics experience like just Simone Biles recently, a psychological or an emotional breakdown where they have this severe sense of needing to win. Needing like imagine that pressure. Like the whole country is expecting for you to bring back a gold medal. Not just your mom and dad, not just your family, you know, the whole country. That's a lot of pressure. You know, that's a lot of pressure to have. And it's unfair, but we don't do it intentionally. You know, it's it's not something that we do out of a bad place. Yeah. The the school system obviously needs to change in a way where failure is not seen as as a negative. Even when you perform poorly, there's there should be a lesson there that can, can then be expounded on for that child and say, hey, you got this answer wrong. What were you thinking? How did you research this? Where did you find this answer? Why did you think this was the correct answer? You know, there's a lesson there that, that we don't really take the time to, to teach. Our school systems aren't, aren't built for that. You know what's funny is there's something my dad used to tell me that used to upset me so much because I used to think, he's not really listening to me. Like, he's not, he's not, car- like he's not caring and letting me be, like, sad, you know, yeah. or letting me be disappointed. So I would tell him about a failure and he would say, you're a tough cookie. You're going to figure it out. And I started thinking, man, I must be the most crunchy, stiff, stale cookie that there is because I keep falling and falling and falling (laughs) and failing and failing and it sucks, you know. But the funny thing is I was a tough cookie, (laughs) you know. And I don't know what he thought when he was telling me that. Maybe he didn't have anything better to say, you know. <laughs> Maybe he just was like, well, I don't really know how to motivate you, but. But I love cookies. Yeah. <laughs> and you're a tough one. <laughs> so. <laughs> uh, I've never had a tough cupcake, so. <laughs> <laughs> Can't be a tough cupcake, huh? Okay, key component number eight of raising a, a successful child is pay attention to your children. According to a study conducted by the University of Delaware, children were more likely to be successful if their parents paid attention and listened to them. Ask how their day was, recognize their creativity, their passions, and just listen. It's also important to pay attention to your children's emotional well-being. We already know that positivity is linked to increased success rates. So is a child's emotional well-being. How do you practice this? Isn't it my strong suit? (laughs) (laughs) How do you not practice this? Um, You know, I tend to, and I'm going to say this is a weakness, um, to be a workaholic. I think I've gotten better over time. 
in working on that, like in saying to myself, like no work past this time or, you know, this time that I'm with my family, I'm going to focus. I'm not going to look at my phone. I'm not going to, you know, like work is work will be there tomorrow. Yep. (laughs) So I don't think that I've that I've been the best always, but I think that I've gotten better. And, you know, some of the things that you can do are just simple, like simply asking your child when they come in, hey, how was your day? How was your class? What did you learn? You know, what did what did you like about today? You know, and just being just letting them know that you care about the small things, because when you care about the small things and you open up that conversation, they start actually start to feel more comfortable with coming to you and speaking to you. So then when there's bigger things, they're going to come consult you. And that's a time where you can it can be a teachable moment, you know, right. I think this is an area I can also improve into. I feel like I listen now a lot more than I did when my kids were small. So I think this is something that I've learned over time. And I don't know, maybe it's just because now I have more time to spend listening. Like when I was in the military, it was always go, go, go. And now I have more time to sit down and, and be interested. In, in, and I was interested. It's just like you just don't have the opportunities. You don't have as many opportunities, you know. But this is definitely an area where I feel like I can improve. You know, what's funny is, and my mom had actually reminded me of this recently. Um, I saw my mom recently and we were talking about, um, she was talking about my youngest daughter and she was talking about how there was a time where she was in the vehicle with her and she was trying to get her attention. It started to annoy my mom, right? Like she was in the middle of doing something or whatever it was. And so when she finally was like, what, like, what, what, you know, what Alicia? And she said, you're the best grandma ever, you know? And of course it makes you smile and then you feel really bad. Then you're like, man, I'm, I'm not the best grandma, you know? And it made me think about a time in the car when I had picked her up from daycare after work and I had had a really stressful day. And all I wanted to do was listen to music and just relax and not think about work. And she wanted to tell me about her day. And um, so I turned down the music and took a deep breath and I let her tell me about her day. And she's like, Mom, I love you so much. You're the best mom ever. And you know what? Those are those moments where as a parent, like you could really be failing as a parent. You could really be making some big mistakes. But man, when your kid tells you something like that and they mean it, you know, yeah, it reinforces something in you. You know, sometimes yeah. your kids are teaching you, believe it or not. <laughs> that's, a, that's a true statement. Sometimes they're tough lessons. Yeah. You know, speaking of, of being a tough cookie, when, <laughs> when my oldest two kids, so my oldest two kids are nine months apart. So, and I had my first child when I was 15. I had my daughter early, which ended up, it made them nine months apart. So really close together. So when they were little, I've always thought about when, when I purchased something, the investment and making it last. So I was like, I'm going to get them toddler, toddler beds. I'm not going to put them in cribs. Like they're probably too big for crib now and toddler bed will last a while. So I, I get them each this toddler bed. They're able to get up and down out of it, you know. Um, And they're pretty good about listening, going to bed, whatever. They were good kids. But something would happen every single morning out fail. And it didn't matter what time I woke up. My son would get into his diaper. And I don't know how you poop on the regular every single night or every single morning. I don't. But he would paint his sister and his bed with poop. And the beds about these style of beds like the plastic is kind of grainy so it doesn't clean well like you have to use a scrub brush like you really have to scrub you can't just wipe it down with the clorox wipe so 
one morning I, and I had done so many different things. I had tried not to feed him past a certain time. I had tried not to give him liquid past a certain time. I tried to wake up earlier. Like there's so many things that I tried. I tried to talk to him about not getting in his diaper. Like there, I, I thought I had done everything I possibly could do. And so one morning when I went in the room and of course, again, there's poop everywhere. And I sat on the floor and I cried and I was like, God, I do not know that I was meant to be a mother, you know, like this is super stressful, you know, little did I know that that was building me up for, for the stress to come because there was much more stressful <laughs> moments than that. But that was super stressful at the time, you know, and then, and then when you call your dad for comfort and he says, girl, you're a tough cookie. You'll figure it out. And yeah, I guess I'm a tough cookie. <laughs> I figured it out. Maybe maybe that's what he was eating at night that was causing <laughs> those sugar cookies that he turned you on to. <laughs> so um, key component number nine of raising a successful child is aim, hire, and make more money. I know some people are going to hear this and they're going to cringe. Yes, stay at home, mom or dad, go to work. According to research conducted by Stafford University, the achievement gap between low-income families and high-income families is 30 to 40%. Now, you assume that one of you being home full-time is better, right? Wrong. According to Harvard Business School, research concluded that female children of mothers who worked outside the home earned 23% more than their peers whose mothers stayed at home, and male children spent more time with their children and more time on housework. If you don't believe me, look it up. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Seriously, because I was a little bit shocked. And you know, I'm going to kind of go a little bit off topic for a second, but when, when doing the research on all of this, um, because I really like to have solid information, you know, I don't want to just give, give you our opinions and our experiences and, and not really give you something that, you're, that you can take away and use. A lot of the research is a little bit um, skewed. And the reason that it's skewed is because it's mostly women who stay home. So it's not just about the woman. If the man's staying home too, I'm sure that the results are going to be the same. A lot of the research talks about when there's a sing single parent home that typically the child does better in the, um, in the male home of the single parent. Well, do you know why that is? Because males make significantly more money. So they have access to more opportunities. So keep that in mind because when you go, like I fact check stuff, so um, go fact check. Keep that in mind because a lot of that stuff is a little bit, know, know that there's a little bit of a disparity there um, because of that. Yeah, but, but I think the point there, and, and I think that it's important to, to understand when we say make more money, it's not talking about like single household, like, like when you're a single parent. Um, obviously when you're a single parent, you're doing the best that you can right. and you're making the most that you can with the time that you have, right, like, sure. you know, so that's not really what we're talking about. We're really talking about one parent choosing to be a stay at home parent. When you um, can bring money yeah, in. When you, when you can, when you have the ability to go work, like, you know what I'm saying? So if you have the ability to go work and you're thinking, oh, if I stay home, take care of my kid, my kid will be better. Actually, that's the opposite. If you stay home with your kid, your kid will not be better. Your kid will be worse. You going to work will have a propensity to push your kid to be better and also create some independence in it. You know what I'm saying? Like, and uh, obviously the logistics have to match up and, you know, you can't be 
going out and getting a job and you have to pay for daycare and your daycare is all your check you're making, like that's not, that's just going to cause stress, right? But I, I think that's, you know, take that with a, with a grain of salt in terms of making more money. But also part of being a parent and teaching your kid continuous learning or, or having like a, being a lifelong learner, part of that is being a lifelong learner and always trying to continue to improve your situation so that you will create that, that trait in your children. Your children will see you studying on that next degree or trying to get that certification or, or trying to get that next promotion. Um, they'll see that and they'll understand that you know, that's how they can advance. I had a friend of mine that said he saw people being successful, but he, no one ever sat him down and told him, this is how you go from having no money to having a Mercedes or a house. Or He never, he never saw the, how it lined up, how to get from point A to point B. And so when he went out to chase money, he did it based off of what he observed in the, in the community. No one ever sat him down and said, this is how, you know, the, you're good at sports. You can, get a, you can get a scholarship, go to college. You can get a college degree. You can get a job. You, can, you know what I'm saying? No one, no one sat him down and walked him through that process. And so when he was exposed to the environment, he just went out and did what he thought was the only thing that he could do. to get Modeling behavior. Yeah, mo- yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Except that it was modeling after bad behavior. And then he ended up getting caught up in that. And, you know, I didn't really realize how important that is. And you can't always control, you know, like we talked about earlier, you can't always control who your children are around. You know, they're going to be around bad students and good students at school. You know, if you have them in a, in a sport where you drop them off at class, they're going to be exposed to kids who don't have good parents who teach them really bad things, you know, or kids who are abused, like they'll hear things or learn things. My daughter asked me a question about suicide when she was like five. And I was like, how do I explain suicide to a five-year-old? That's just not something you should have to explain to a five-year-old. I never realized how important it was to expose your children to as much as possible. So if you're able to go outside your village to visit, even if, you know what, even if you don't make a lot of money, if you just drive your children up the street of the big houses and talk to them about how hard those people had to work, in order to be able to be in those big houses, like don't let it be a limited belief for you that because you don't have a certain amount of money that you can't provide your children with the tools that they need to be successful because you can. And know as a parent at every level, just like me, you know, figuring this out at, you know, 41, you're not always the smartest person and you don't always know like your craft may not be in investments. So maybe you know somebody who's really good at investments expose your child to them. There's so many opportunities in any setting to, to expose your children to tents that are very valuable and different villages that are very valuable. And think about, you know, when, when people talk about, don't put me in a box or I'm, you know, I'm not in a box. When you stay in the same city or town your whole life, there's so much that you don't know because dates are different. Their rules are different. Their people act different. Countries are different. They have different rules. Their cultures are different. The less that you're exposed to, the less real knowledge you have. You've stayed in that box. You haven't come out of that, you know, out of your village. So you don't know what's happening outside the box. And what's funny is that a lot of people will be in the box and and say what's happening outside the box, but they honestly don't know. But definitely important. And I just don't want everybody everybody to be caught up on the fact that if if you don't make a certain amount of money that you can't make strides to help your children. And also a big part of that that you have to think about too is, is don't make the mistake of, of instilling limited beliefs on your children by saying, 
oh, those people are blessed. Those people are lucky. Those people had a, had a hand up or, or those people got help or, right. you know what I'm saying? Because sometimes you'll be thinking, well, I can never acquire that because, because I don't, have I don't this. have that. Yeah. I don't, you know what I'm saying? I don't have, I don't have this or I don't have that. And that limited belief can stop you from thinking that you can achieve it the right way. Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, the only way you're going to ever get something like that is if you do this or do this. or You know what I'm saying? A lot of times people in bad neighborhoods say, well, the only way that you're going to get out of the bad neighborhood is if you play basketball, you can play football, or you can rap. You know what I'm saying? Or sell drugs. Or sell drugs. Well, mm-hmm. selling yeah. drugs is, is the bad way, but I'm saying right. the, the right way. Oh, like, the right way. Yeah, the right way. So, so you have those three options, but those are not the three options that exist. You know what right. I'm saying? There's there, many there's more a options. Gazillion options. You can invent something. You can start a business. You can, you know, whatever. Like, you know, you had, you had an example of the kid who was selling the t-shirts who was 15 and retired his mom. He was 15 years old. And, you know, think about that. And I'm not going to get into the school system um, and the flaws that I think the school system has. But imagine, imagine ha- having a child who, who has a passion or is creative in a particular area and you fuel that. Imagine what they could do. That should be important because yeah. you can fuel that man big time. And you know what? A lot of times you don't need money to fuel it. Some things you do. Sports, activities, man, they're expensive. Yeah, they are. But there's, there's programs. There's, you know what I'm there saying? Is. There's, there's family members. I don't understand how you can have like 50, 50, 100 family members all living in the same community and nobody could put enough money together to put this kid in football. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? Like, come on. True, work but you the, know what? Team. But but you know what? If you want people to invest in you, you gotta have the work ethic. Yeah, you do. Key component number ten of raising a successful child is practice conflict resolution when you encounter conflict. According to research conducted at Notre Dame University, when children are witness to a mild to moderate conflict wherein positivity, compromise, and support are included, they experience higher levels of emotional security, self-esteem, and increased social skills. Guess what? When kids witness a fight and see their parents resolving it, they're actually happier than they were before they saw it. It reassures the kids that parents can work through things. Children pick up on when a parent is giving in to avoid conflict or refusing to communicate and their own emotional response is not positive. Long-term effects of parental withdrawal are more disturbing than kids' adjustments to open conflict. Children in this instance can perceive that something is wrong, which leads to stress. They don't understand what or why which results in it being harder for them to adjust. Chronic stress of this type of nature to repeated exposure to destructive conflict and not conflict resolution can result in kids that are worried, anxious, hopeless, angry, aggressive, behaviorally challenged, sickly, tired, and struggling academically. Naturally, children are in high-conflict families, regardless of the living situation or whether parents are married or divorced, do not perform as well in most areas of their lives according to a University of Illinois study for review. Have you mastered this, Crystal? <laughs> um, no. <laughs> <laughs> I tell everybody getting to know yourself is the hardest thing. And sometimes yeah. when, when you're in a conflict, you don't even know why you're mad. Like, you know you're mad, but you don't know what the source is. Like, you don't know if, it, if you're mad because it hurt your feelings. You don't know if you're mad because... This particular thing to you signals that it means disrespect. Like there's just so many different things. And so when you're when you're having conflict, it's very important when you're feeling those ways and when you don't understand to communicate that, 
keeping your your children from seeing any conflict whatsoever, then they don't know that it exists. They think that a marriage is, you know, a relationship is perfect and that you never fight, that it's all, you know, happy times and, you know, and the truth is, is that it's not that it takes work. And so by them seeing those conflicts and seeing how you work through them, it helps them and it lowers their stress because think about it, like we were talking about earlier, um, when you win the stress of, well, now you have to win all the time. So with children thinking that you can't ever have conflict, that's stressful, you know, and nothing good comes out of that. I think it's also not teaching of how to handle emotions as well, because typically conflict has to do with some type of an emotion. You know what I'm saying? Either you're angry, you're upset, you're, you're jealous, you're um, frustrated. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like there's an emotion happening and you're not allowing your child to see it because you think it's going to be harmful. But what happens when that child has that emotion? What happens when the child is angry or when the child is scared or frustrated or, you know, embarrassed or, you know what I'm saying? Like all those things happen. And I think it's important to, to teach through those moments. Have you mastered it? Have I mastered it? <laughs> um, you know, I was thinking about conflict resolution and I feel like, uh, I don't know. I don't know if I mastered it. I don't, I don't think that I have. Um, I don't think you have. Because if I haven't mastered it, you haven't mastered it either. <laughs> here, here's a funny story. <laughs> this is what I was thinking about earlier. I was trying to remember what I was thinking about. We were, when we were in California and Raquel was visiting, and um, she was listening to me and you argue. Um, we were having a conflict, and it was a positive conflict. We were talking through it, and um, and she stopped and and she said, "Hey," and it was like the next day. Like we had a conflict the day prior, and then the next day we were all talking, and she's like, "You know, I'm really impressed with how you guys communicate and how you guys resolve conflict. Have you guys always communicated this way, or is this something that you guys learned?" And then so we started giving an example of our argument the day prior and we got into a fight <laughs> and i was like oh that went south really fast and i ended up having to sleep on the couch i don't know no. <laughs> you have to work through things and sometimes it's hard to take your emotion out of the conversation sometimes the, the conflict doesn't need to be resolved immediately and it's okay to be angry and not resolve it immediately and to step back and go okay why am i angry about this and then to come back and say hey, this is the reason why I was angry, and to be able to talk through that. I'm sure our youngest daughter has seen us have multiple conversations that are, that are just natural conflict, you know, because we have varying, I don't know, beliefs about different things, and we see things differently, and we think about things, and we resolve things differently. Um, but I feel like that really empowers her to understand that no relationship is going to be perfect, and every relationship is going to come with conflict, and it's okay. There's nothing wrong with you right. because you're feeling conflict, or you're feeling angry about something, or you're feeling jealous about something, or, you know, that's something to, to understand, to, to self-reflect, and then to address, you know? And, and I think that's really important, that's, is, is yeah. being able to self-reflect. Yeah, I think so too. I think sometimes we don't take the time to really understand the emotion, because we've never been taught how to handle emotion, you know? Right. No that's one's true. ever said, hey, it's okay to be sad. Why are you sad? What's making you feel sad? Why does that make you feel sad? You know what I'm saying? And not going through that process and thinking, well, I'm sad. I'm just sad. You know? (laughs) Well, why? I don't know why. You know? I don't know why I'm sad. You know? Because I'm sad because you didn't want to spend time with me. Well, why does that make you sad? Like, I had to go to work. You know? Like, (laughs) like you really have to think through that. And you you have to internally think through that and kind of work through that that, that emotion to get to the root cause. Because maybe what you're really feeling is you're feeling lonely. 
Right. You know, I'm lonely. And then you can do things that counteract that. Yeah. Or mitigate that. Yeah, absolutely. Or you could just be understanding that your your significant other has to go to work and because you don't have a job, you need to figure some other way to fill that fill that gap so that you're not feeling lonely. Maybe you get a club, you go join a club, a, a running club, or you go to the gym and work out. Whatever brings you joy, you do that so that you don't feel that loneliness um, as much. You know what I'm saying? Right. Um, and then they, at least when you're feeling sad, you know, uh, I'm just feeling lonely. You know what I'm right. saying? I'm sad because I'm lonely. Um, and I missed you and I haven't got a chance to spend time with you today. But I'm glad that you're here now. You know what I'm saying? Oh. I had a, uh, a soldier one time. And, I, you know, I, I often think of people that you're, that you're mentoring um, or that you're in charge of. as kind of like your children. So you're kind of trying to steer, steer them as well and guide them and have teachable moments. And she was really upset because so until very recently, females were not on the front lines at all. And as a medic, you will not be officially assigned to a unit such as like a rock clearing team like I was um, or EOD, you, which is, you know, where they go and they and they take the bombs and they set them off, you know, in a, in a safe way. She was upset because she went to her to her leaders and said, I really want to be a medic for this area. And it was an all male area. And they're like, no. And so I asked her, I said, you know, she was all spun up and she's like, I'm going to go do a, an, an official complaint. And, you know, I think it's just because I'm a female. And I said, you know what? I said, listen, I said, there's a lot of impact that you don't understand by putting you in that position that can come back on them, things that can happen to you that you didn't think about, and exposing you to things that you have no idea that you're going to be exposed to, or putting you in a situation where you come back and you're missing a limb. You know, so I asked her, I said, why is it that you're so intent on doing this? And she said, because there's really not very many females that get to do this. And so I said, okay, what is it that you want to do overall in life? And so when she tells me it has absolutely nothing to do with even being medical or, or anything. And I'm like, so why, why would this be so important for you to experience for you to come back and say, Hey, I did something that, you know, that typically female medics don't do somebody on the civilian side, first of all, probably isn't going to understand that. Yeah. You were the first or the second or whatever. You were one of the few that did whatever, but how is that helping your, your long-term goal? You know? And after we talked it through, she's like, you know what? I really was upset because I wanted to do this. I wanted, you know, this, it felt like it was important to me, but in all actuality, it's not. And I told her, I said, you know, what if, you know, no, nobody plans to go there and have something happen, but, but what if you go there and you lose both legs, you know, and now you can't do what it is that you really, really want to do. Is that a risk that you're willing to take, you know? And after, after she processed all of that, she's like, I really appreciate you helping me go through that because it wasn't what I, you know, what I thought it was. And, and by talking that through and, and talking through the conflict that I was having, I realized that it wasn't something that was important to me. And the reason I was upset really didn't have anything to do with them. It really didn't, you know? So I think it's important to do the same thing with with you know your children yeah i agree and, that, and that's really good mentorship really getting down to the root cause of of what is the issue and you framed it very positively when you said you know what's your ultimate goal like what do you really want to do 
oh, I want to be, I want to be a pilot. Well, what does that got to do with what you're asking for? <laughs> right. Like, like you want to be a pilot. Why, why are you pursuing this so aggressively? Like, if it doesn't really lead to you being a pilot, you're just wasting your time. Like, really, yeah. So that's really good. I'm, I'm glad that you were able to talk that person through that process. Um, and, and when you're dealing with your children, I think it's also important. Like my son came to me and I said, hey, what do you want to do with your life? And he was like, oh, I want to be, uh, I said, what do you enjoy doing? I like traveling. Um, I like seeing new places. And like, okay, so why don't you find a job where that's what you do? Why don't you find a job where you travel, like being an air marshal or being a flight attendant or being a pilot or, you know, something where you're going to have the opportunity to do what you love doing right. in your job. Um, and what gets you there? What's in the path that gets right, you there? Right. What's the path that gets you there? Uh, and so I think it's a lot of times we try to tell our kids, hey, in order to be successful, you need to do this. You're going to be a doctor. You're going to be a lawyer. You're going to be an engineer. But maybe the kid doesn't want to do that. And you never even ask the kid, hey, what is it you want to do? What, what do you like doing? I like painting. Well, maybe you want to own an art studio or maybe you want to work in a museum or, may, you know, like just, there's, there's so many different options when it comes to art that you can do besides like there's, there's just so many different options. And then pushing that kid from a young age to pursue what they like. I know that one time Raquel really loved baking. And I said, well, why don't you start a baking company? Like, you really would want to bake. You really love baking. You want to start a, uh, you know, why don't you, she was making cakes. And I was like, well, why don't you, why don't you sell these cakes? Like, these are amazing. She was making these amazing cakes. And she started selling cakes all over the place. Like, it was this big business of cakes. And the kitchen was a hot mess. And they were making cakes every day, like nonstop. And then she realized that she didn't like making <laughs> cakes for a living. She liked being creative. Right. She liked creatively being, like, creative. And making these cakes, but she really didn't enjoy the the, the business aspect of it of, of of the deadline of not being able to choose her own designs and not being able to be as creative as she wanted to be, and she didn't enjoy it. And so that was such a great. Imagine if she would invest thousands and thousands of dollars in starting a business that, as soon as she starts it, she's like, "This sucks." Yeah, this yeah. this isn't what I thought it was. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes you have to have to go through that process for sure. You know, raising children can be one of the most rewarding experiences in life, but it can also be challenging, like having poop on all your walls. <laughs> it's important to remember that no one can do it alone, honestly, and that's why it truly does take a village to raise a child. So we challenge you to incorporate these 10 components to raising a successful child or warrior as I truly see it. Uh, be deliberate about the village and the tents that you expose your children to. Remember. It does take a village to raise a child, and you do have the ability to influence that village and or their tents. And even in the, in the examples where they're exposed to things that you don't want them to be exposed to, those are teachable moments. Absolutely. Be a good role model. You know, above average, in fact. Your children will learn more from what you do than you could ever say. Display positivity and optimism. Practice utilizing conscious intention when communicating with your children. In any situation, even when you're highly emotional or emotionally charged, uh, you can propel your children further than you could ever imagine. And we've talked about the, the water molecule research conducted by Dr. Emoto, where he talked about the, the, the water crystals when he would speak positivity and they would freeze into these beautiful crystals. Uh, and we've talked about that before. Your body is 80% water. So what do you think is going to happen when you speak positivity to a person? Or negativity, even worse. Yeah, even worse. Your body's going to absorb that negative energy and it's, it's going to impact you negatively. So speak positively to your children. And, and that means saying things 
as simple as instead of saying you failed, hey, you weren't successful. Using a positive word as instead of a negative word. Failure is a negative word. Unsuccessful is a positive word. You know what I'm saying? It's it's the same word. Hey, you weren't successful, but you can be. You know what I'm saying? Hey, you didn't win as opposed to saying, hey, you lost. You know what I'm saying? Hey, you didn't win. That's a positive way. Or even saying you didn't win this time. Yeah, you didn't win this time. You're going to train. You're going to learn. You're going to get better. And you're going to win next time. Don't transfer your burdens or your emotions to your children. Practice keeping your children's rucksacks light. Don't add extra weight for them to carry. Speed them up. Don't slow them down. Maintain an authoritative parenting style. Be rational in guiding your children. Just because you're the parent doesn't always mean that you're the rational one. (laughs) That's true. A lot sometimes. Empower your children to raise their sword. You will not always be there. So that day that your child gets the battle line and they've got to cross it without you, be confident that they're prepared to raise that sword. Let your child fail, but think effort over failure. Throw the everybody gets a trophy mentality out the window. Teach your children how to pick themselves up, brush themselves off, and do better and be supportive. Pay attention to your children. Listen to them when they want to share some good news or bad news and be supportive. Aim higher. Make more money. Position you and your family in a better situation. Remember that your children learn more from what you do than what you say. Practice conflict resolution when you encounter conflict. Let your children see that you have a disagreement or serious conflict, but resolve it. Don't wait for your children to be adults to begin providing them with the tools to be successful. Do it now. If you want to level up your parenting game, we challenge all of you to master these 10 components of raising a a successful child that you can help your children develop the skills and the mindset that they need to succeed. I know I want my children to be emotionally intelligent, strong, smart, and independent. I don't want them to be 40, at home, mustering through a bad relationship. I also don't want to see any of my children slaughtered on the battlefield of life with no tools and a heavy rucksack. A quote by Crystal Garcia reads, Empower your child to draw and raise their sword as they cross the line of life without you into the battlefield. 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 Battlefield.